I'm going to turn now to First uh, Peter again, First Peter chapter one, to the passage which I read. Uh, it's a great passage of scripture. It's one of my my favourite passages. Really, it's so just full of of helpful truth. And uh, we're thinking about this living hope. Every Saturday at three o'clock, I have a hope. By five o'clock, it's usually dashed. It has gone. As I go into Balamina showgrounds to watch Balamina United, I'm hoping that they will win. I come away sometimes satisfied, sometimes, or more often, disappointed. We have a hope, and your hope might be on well, something more sensible than mine, uh, that's, that's entirely yours, but everybody has a hope. We all have hopes. Some are short-term, some are long. Some are fanciful and foolish. Some are meaningful and real. What does it mean to have hope? We say, I hope it goes well for you. I hope you get the job. I hope you have a good day. But we also carry a sense of uncertainty, knowing that it might not go well for you. You might not get the job. And it might not be just the perfect day that you longed for. In the opening lines of his letter to the, the churches in Asia, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, speaks of a living hope. What is this living hope? If we think of, of Peter, the death of Jesus meant despair for Peter. If you just flick me on there, I'll just do that and you can flick me on <laughs> to the next slide. The death of Jesus meant despair for Peter and for the other disciples. You've you got to think, about, think back to, the, to, to what it might have been like for those, those men. They've spent three years with Jesus, listening to Jesus, seeing his miracles, amazed by what he is able to do, astounded by his teaching. They've become his friends as well as his followers. And Peter, Peter sees Jesus being arrested and taken away. And what has he done? He denied his master. And Jesus is taken out and crucified. And Peter had no opportunity to make an apology all hope was lost on that cross. Jesus, their master, their Lord, their friend, and their hoped Messiah was crucified. A few days later, news is filtering through that some women have been out to the tomb and there is no body. And it raised a certain amount of interest and intrigue. And, and Peter with John was among the first to see the, the empty tomb, to see the folded clothes therein, and, and to realize he is risen. The resurrection and the days that followed raised the hopes uh, of the disciples to a new level. Devastated by the arrest and the denials and the death, Peter is lovingly reinstated when Christ meets the disciples for breakfast beside 
the Sea of Galilee. And following on from the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter, who denied Jesus, begins to preach boldly about Jesus, to preach about his death and his resurrection. And you have that great moment on uh, Pentecost Day as the Holy Spirit comes down and Peter is out there on the streets and he is preaching to those people about who Jesus is. And he is showing the people from the Scriptures that Jesus is God's promised Messiah, the Son of David who has come into the world. And he says, whom you crucified but God raised from the dead. And then we read that on that day, over 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of heaven. Preaching about Jesus Christ. And then going into the world with this wonderful gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And when Peter later comes to write his letters to the Christian churches in Asia, he writes to those suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he writes in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It wasn't easy being a Christian in the first century. I'm not sure it's ever been easy for being a Christian. Although I think if we're being honest and we look back over our lives, we, we enjoyed a good spell we weren't persecuted. We're still maybe not persecuted, but we're conscious that there are more. There is more and more opposition. There is more and more harassment of Christians. Christians, Peter is saying to us, you may have to endure trials for a little while, but these are for a purpose. Peter writes with confidence as he expresses his delight in knowing Christ and the privilege that was his of belonging to Christ. And so he speaks of a living hope. That is a hope that, that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. Hope that is sure and certain because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so he can, he can begin to talk about the blessings, and the blessings enjoyed by Peter are to be enjoyed by every Christian. And so he begins by talking about new birth. A living hope is about new birth. Let's move on, please. Uh, new birth, uh, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, born again, recalling the words of Jesus as he talks to Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again. And unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And this whole message of, of new birth is one that is carried by Peter and the other apostles as they go from Jerusalem out into the, all of the different towns, cities, villages with the good news of Jesus Christ. Literally, being born again is about God coming down to regenerate us. The literal translation is born from above. 
being born from above is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We cannot do it ourselves. Now, you, you think about this. Think about your birth. What part had you in your birth? We had no part in our natural part, birth other than to arrive into this world. But we were conceived, carried, and born without any input from ourselves. Strange then that for some people, being born again seems to carry personal responsibility. That I did it. I responded to the minister's appeal. I came forward and gave my heart to Jesus. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I was born again. But why did you respond? Why did you come forward? Why did you pray that prayer? Because God, by His Holy Spirit, caused you to draw near to Him that you might be saved. The hymn writer says, "'Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's, and He is mine. He drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. Born from above, He knew you before the world began. He wrote His name upon your heart. He drew you by his grace. You were dead, says Paul. Dead in your trespasses and sin. God raised you up. That's a miracle. That's resurrection. Once you had no spiritual life, now you are alive spiritually. And it is the life of Christ in you that is the evidence of the new birth. The resurrection of Christ secures our salvation. It is because Jesus paid the ransom. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God so that God is able to reach out and save those whom he has chosen and called by name. And in giving life to Christ, God gives life to all who are united by faith to Christ. We are raised in Christ and with Christ so that God's elect have a hope that is as sure as Christ's resurrection. We have been brought to faith by God. The seed of life is in His Word. Peter writes in verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. It is the Word of God that comes into our hearts to enlighten us in the knowledge of who God is and who Christ is, to show us our sin and our sinfulness, and to, uh, and to point to the, the condemnation of that sin and the judgment of God. But it shows us the way of Christ and the way of salvation that by grace we might be saved. Holy Spirit germinates the seed and gives growth and brings fruit. That's the blessing of new birth. This is the, the wonderful 
good news that is preached by Peter and the apostles and by the servants of God down through the ages, preached by the, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, sowing the seed and bringing that seed to fruition, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask the question, are you born again? And I guess many of you would say, yes, I am. And I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's so important. You, heard, uh, you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe there is someone here this morning and, and you couldn't genuinely say, I'm born again. And I've known of people who have said, well, I, I do believe in God and, and I believe in heaven, but I wouldn't say I'm born again. And you see, Scripture says to us that we must be born again. And Peter is saying that it is by this new birth that we have the living hope. And so we must be born again. You hear the word of God, you hear the invitation to trust. And you know the truth that requires repentance from sin in order to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've come in here this morning and, and it's all new to you. What is repentance? Repentance is, is saying sorry to God for all of your sin. Recognizing that there are many, many wrong things in your life. Things that you have no control over. You can do nothing about no matter how hard you try. But here's the Word of God is saying to us that God will take away all of those things and give you peace through Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be born again. And rather than lingering on in sin with your eyes, looking out to the world and all of its attractions, you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the Lamb of God, and you trust in Him for salvation. The living hope comes through new birth. And secondly, we want to look at what this living hope really means. So we often say, I, I hope everything turns out all right. We really can't be sure that it will. But we have a strong desire that it should. But Peter's not, not, not writing about a vague, uncertain hope. It is a living hope. It is a sure and certain hope, as Paul calls it in his letter. And this hope is anchored in the past. Let's, let's move on, guys. Thank you. Hope is anchored in the past, verse 2, um, verse 3, sorry. Uh, a living hope, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was, it was the grace and the mercy of God that caused new birth, not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. We go back to verse 2, which speaks of our being uh, chosen in God according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Our hope is, this hope is anchored in the past. It is in the work of God 
Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And this hope is, is also anchored in the conviction that Jesus rose and is alive. As the hymn writer says, I stand in Christ with sins forgiven and Christ in me the hope of heaven. Hope is anchored in the past, but hope lives in the present because Jesus lives. He, is, he has been raised up by God. He has been taken up into heaven. He reigns and lives on high. He intercedes at the Father's right hand. He pleads for each one of us. He pleads for that all of his sheep might come to him and be saved. He pleads for all of his sheep that they might be kept safe in the nurture of God's grace and love. Hope lives in the present because Jesus lives. Hope anticipates the future. Jesus is coming again. That is made clear throughout Scripture. Jesus is coming again. And so Christian hope looks forward. Again, we, we sing the words, There is a hope that stands the test of time, that lifts my eyes beyond the beckoning grave. We have a hope that anticipates the future. C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse the longing for satisfaction. Those are interesting words. And we do find ourselves desiring many things in the world, only to find that we're never really satisfied. Think of the longings aroused in life, the hopes for future and happiness, the travel magazines arouse longings to travel that we may or may not fulfill. And all of our longings are no longer longings which our marriage or our travel or our learning can satisfy. Even with the very best cases that man that man or that woman will have to admit, I do not have a hope that stands the test of time. But in Christ, we have a living hope. Peter is saying to us that we are secure in God's keeping. Just as an anchor holds an ocean liner in place and stops it from drifting, so our new birth in Christ is something which can never be moved or taken away from us. We are anchored firm and secure in our Savior's love. Salvation belongs to our God. It's His plan and His purpose from before the beginning of time. And he has accomplished it all. And as trophies of God's grace, we can worship the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can come into his presence without fear of condemnation. We know that we can stand before the judgment throne of God because Christ is our advocate. Hope lives within us because of what Christ has done for us 
through his death at Calvary, through his atonement and propitiation, God is satisfied. He will require no more from us than what he has already placed upon Jesus Christ. And our hope lives because Jesus lives. God has raised up Jesus from the dead. And so there's a gospel to proclaim. And there's a heaven to be secured. We have confident expectation of that future blessing. But there is no hope in human endeavor. And the Christian gospel and the Christian message is the only message that gives that living hope. And even within so-called Christianity, there are those who, who cannot speak of a sure and certain hope, who speak of working your way into heaven, gaining your rewards before God. It's dependent upon works. A film, I'm not a big film buff, but I, I did go to see this film, Saving Private Ryan. It's going back a few years now, but it's a very, still, a, I think, a popular film. It's one of Tom Hanks' great films. Tom Hanks played the role of Captain Miller. And Captain Miller is um, tasked by the U.S. Army to go to, into Europe, to go to come to France during the Second World War and rescue a man called James Ryan. He is the last of four brothers who had gone to war. And the officialdom had discovered that three of those brothers had already been killed in battle. And to save uh, further sorrow to the family, Miller is sent with his men to find and bring home Private Ryan. Most of Miller's men had been killed in that process. And eventually they find Ryan in the midst of a, quite a serious battle. And as Captain Miller himself lay dying, his last words to Ryan were, James, earn this. Earn it. Earn what we have done for you. Earn how we have rescued you. And with those words, Captain Miller passed away. Visiting Miller's grave many years later, Ryan kneels and he says, Every day I think about what you said to me. And I've tried to live the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope I've earned what all of you have done for me. And sadly, there are too many who are living believing that they can earn their salvation. Hoping that they can come one day before God and say, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've lived a good life that you will be found acceptable. My dear friends, no one is put right with God because you are good. You will start and only start to be good when you are put right with God. Now, that's not saying that you're the worst person it's possible to be, but we are reminded that sin is in every heart. No one is righteous. 
And you only begin to be righteous when God comes into your heart. And that's why it's important to come to him. That's why it's important to ask him to take away every sin and stain. That's why we need to ask him to make you alive in Jesus Christ. Because his word says that he who comes to me, I will not turn away. But he will forgive. And he will make you alive. Just as he has promised. A living hope is anchored in the past, lives in the present, anticipates the future. And our last point this morning is this. A living hope means a great inheritance. Look at verse 4. We have this living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter is saying to us that those born into God's family receive an inheritance from him. Christians are heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. And this inheritance is being kept for us. This treasure is in heaven. It is safe and secure. Think of Israel's inheritance as they are in Egypt. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they are delivered from slavery and they are brought to their inheritance by God. Sustained by the promise, I will give you this land. A promise given to Abraham and to Jacob. And our hope is sure because Jesus has said, I am going to prepare a place for you. There is a home in heaven for all of God's people. What a prospect we have. And this promise sustains us in this life as we look forward with hope, knowing also, as Peter says, that not only is this hope being kept for us, but we are being kept for this inheritance. God is keeping his children safe. Jesus said, my sheep come to me because they know me and no one can pluck them out of my hand. We are being kept, kept by Jesus. And our great God has posted a guard over our souls to keep us safe from every prowling enemy of, of, of Christ. And as God protected the children of Israel by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire as he brought them up out of Egypt, so he is protecting us by his grace. And as God preserved his son in the cauldron of temptation, so he will preserve all of his children so that not one of them will be lost. Our inheritance is ready for us. One day we will see it and we will receive it. Receive it in full. Everything is in place. God's salvation is finished, perfect, un unchangeable provision for us, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now we enjoy the blessings of belonging to God. When Jesus comes, we will enjoy complete and final deliverance from sin. There won't be any more temptation. We'll leave the temptations all behind as we enter into the safe refuge of heaven above to be with Christ and to be with the saints 
forevermore. A great inheritance. The full and lasting joy of eternal glory. Yeah, and now we may have to endure trials and sufferings. But these are being used by God to refine and to purify our souls. There are times when, when we will feel the, the, the stabs, of, the arrows of pain, and we will cry out to God, and He will, he will ease us through the dark valley. He is there with us. He's there with us. And that's what enables the saints to carry the pain and the burdens of suffering because He is with us. Those hard times cause us to fall back upon the Lord as we recognize our weakness and realize that in His great strength we can lean upon Him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Believers, this is our hope. Our hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. Do you have that hope? If not, then I urge you and encourage you. Put your trust in Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that your word teaches us of your love, your love for us in Christ. Reminds us of how Christ suffered for us and teaches us how much we must depend upon Christ. Lord, for those who know and love you, it's, it is a living hope. It's a blessed hope. And for those who are strangers to grace, it remains uncertain. But we pray by grace, Lord, you will you will place your word within the heart. By your Holy Spirit, you will regenerate new life, new life in Christ. That someone today will be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, this I pray in his name, his great name.